Come on in, sit back and relax. You're listening to episode 189 of Wolf Tech Today podcast. I'm your host, Craig Iskowitz, founder of Ezra Group Consulting. And this podcast features news, interviews, and analysis all about the trends and best practices around wealth management technology. My guest for this episode is the one and only Penny Phillips. Everyone listening to this podcast should know Penny Phillips. She's well known um, in the industry uh, as a, a leader, industry leader, an influencer. She's uh, does a lot of work, a lot of uh, media, and a lot on LinkedIn as well. If you check her out, lots of her videos. I'm always uh, listening to them. Really good stuff, especially if you're an advisor. You should take a listen to her, some of her videos. And just give you a quick history of Penny. Uh, in January 21, Penny co-founded Journey Strategic Wealth, an RIA for financial advisors who are seeking independence and full-fledged practice management support. She currently serves as the firm's president. Before Journey, Penny founded practice management firm Thrivos Consulting in 2018, where she worked with countless advisory teams and broker-dealers on issues ranging from the integration of next-generation talent to succession planning to communication and behavior management. Penny previously ran a national business-building workshop series for financial advisors, and she's authored multiple practice management programs and has been featured as a keynote speaker at conferences and events for some of the largest broker-dealers and insurance companies in the country. In fact, Penny was just a keynote speaker at the Pershing conference in Orlando last week. And I was down there and heard her speak. I was taking a lot of notes and doing a lot of tweeting. You can check out my Twitter feed at Craigiskowitz to see some of that. And in this episode, we talk about some of the insights that Penny shared with the over 2,000 attendees at the conference. But before we get started, if you're an executive of a wealth tech firm that's selling software to broker dealers, asset managers, TAMPs, or others, then you should run, not walk to our website, EzraGroupLLC.com, and fill out the Get in Touch form on the homepage. Our industry experts can deliver a wide range of advice, including competitive analysis, new product evaluations, market insights and strategic advice, client buying decisions, integration development services, and more. Every vendor needs these things to be successful, especially when entering new markets. And you can get on the right track by going to EzraGroupLLC.com. Now, a few quick housekeeping notes before I continue. We support a number of nonprofit organizations that do fantastic work for a variety of causes. And one you should check out is the Invest in Others Foundation, which you can learn more about at investinothers.org. Please subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss an episode. And now, let's kick this thing off. I'm excited to introduce our next guest on the program. It is Penny Phillips, co-founder and president of Journey Strategic Wealth. Hey, Penny, welcome. Hi there. Great to be here. It's great to be here with you. And it's like we just saw each other. Just we the did. Other day. I always see you. So I'm very excited to be formally talking to you, I guess, on this podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm glad you could be here. And we just saw each other in Florida and Orlando at the Pershing Insight Conference. That's How'd right. You, like that? you know, I, I just posted about this on social media. I was really impressed. You know, I go to a lot of conferences. The larger ones, you know, sometimes are hit or miss. I thought it was a hit, not just because I was on stage, by the way, on a panel, but because I thought the content was really good and fresh and speakers were great. So I liked it. You weren't, see, you know, you're underselling yourself here. You weren't <laughs> just on a panel. You were on the keynote on the final day, right before Magic Johnson came out. So everyone was there, full, full house on, on the Thursday morning of the conference, which is hard to do. 
and you were um, in a, a, a panel. They were, and they gave you a nickname. They called you the coach. Yes. Yes. That was a very cool experience. Yeah, it was awesome. It was a huge room too. I think they must have had over 2000 people there. And it was a great panel, I thought. I mean, I, mm. you know, I, I told you this, Craig, when I'm on panels like that, what's super important to me or podcasts is just to, to give the advisor a voice and always speak to the advisor perspective. I've never been an advisor, but I spent my career coaching and consulting advisors and now obviously running a firm for advisors bringing the advisor's day-to-day struggles is is something that's super important uh, to me because I think sometimes executives tend to talk at a very high level and miss, you know, what advisors are actually facing day-to-day. Oh, indeed. Yeah, it's, uh, it is important to focus on that. And a lot of firms don't. They just sort of, they just, they assume advisors will always be there and assume the advisors are getting what they want. Uh, that's right. Which they don't. And and it's it's uh, it is a problem. And one of the things you mentioned, if I could pull some of the quotes, so I was tweeting madly tweeting while you were speaking um, <laughs> on on the panel. And you, one of the things you said, I'm just going to throw these out to you, and you can expand on that. The biggest reason that solopreneur practices hit a growth plateau is because the advisor tries to do everything herself. You know, I saw you tweet that and i thought it was very clever that you put herself i noticed that and oh thank you yes that was very clear actually really this is totally unrelated but i'll share it someone just sent me a mutual nda from a firm and and it's an advisor we're talking to and the the mutual nda had his business his location embedded Mm -hmm. in the language of the contract i just thought that was interesting and so old school so i noticed that um yeah that was one of the first things i think i shared when we were talking about growth and look it's true i mean this used to be a transactional sales oriented business right before Mm -hmm. we had we were fiduciaries in, in the industry before most advisors were fiduciaries and you could grow a business by just bringing on bringing on more bodies and advisors weren't really worried about scaling or, or or really building enterprise value right they were focused on cash flow and production and their rep code and all of that and so it's the business has totally changed and as it's changed we've required more from the advisor and i i talk about this all the time i think it's really interesting that the last you know decade or so we've been pushing this narrative of you know advisor needs to become ceo without really giving advisors the a how to do that but b permission to say you know i don't really want to be a ceo i really enjoy working with clients or i really enjoy one aspect of the business and so what's happened is obviously advisors have 57 different responsibilities and they're the rainmaker and the founder and the operator and the hr person and you know growth and prospecting falls by the wayside and so you know we see advisors plateauing at a very specific point by the way in the business's life cycle and that's only going to lead to more consolidation in our industry everything seems to lead to consolidation in the industry doesn't it yeah it does and it's you've been around a while longer than me it's it's cyclical right it's we're almost going back to you know where the industry was at least in the independent space you know a few decades ago i don't think we'll get to just like a couple of big firms or the big four or or whatever but but i definitely think the larger enterprises are going to dominate 
we're still going to see some solopreneur practices, you know, more of the lifestyle sort of boutique practices, you know, sur surviving and thriving. But but we're definitely moving to a place where the bigger firms are are, are going to dominate from a growth perspective and from an attracting new advisor and client perspective. Another speaker at the Persian conference mentioned that there are 500 RIAs started just year to date. So the industry is certainly, certainly there's low barriers to entry. So there's a lot of firms starting up. Yet there's still a, a tremendous amount of M&A. Does that, uh, how does that impact your business? It's a good question. And I agree there. And by the way, that stat is, there's so much within that, you know, you can call yourself an RIA and be an RIA structurally, technically speaking, but be a service provider, right? And just offer, you know, back office support. You can be an RIA in the traditional sense where, you know, you are the, 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 business that's responsible for doing everything and and growing the practice. And so there's a lot of different RIAs out there. I would say it affects our business because this is a, you know, ultra saturated marketplace right now. I think it actually strengthens our story. You know, I tell advisors all the time, if you are sub you know, a few bil billion in assets. I don't know, unless you really, really want to be an operator, you really enjoy running and building a business and not advising, by the way, or growing a business. I just don't know why you'd go out and start, start an RIA right now. And I think a lot of advisors who choose to do that, I understand why they do it. Many of them are entrepreneurial in nature. The idea of building their own thing feels and sounds good. Maybe they came from a captive environment you know, captive firm or a big firm, they really want that independence. But for me, once the advisor actually does that and recognizes how hard it is to run and scale that business, I always remind them independence doesn't necessarily mean your name is on the door, right? Independence, mm -hmm. you really got to define independence for yourself. Independence means having time to do what you love Independence means nobody's breathing down your neck telling telling you they own your clients. And so with all these RAAs emerging, I actually think it's good for our business because, um, you know, be, because of our value proposition and how we actually help advisors operate. That's a great quote. Independence doesn't mean your name has to be on the door. Right. It doesn't have to mean it. And, and one right. vision that I've had, one of our sort of big visions for Journey is that we would challenge, challenge the industry's perception on what it means to be independent. Because everyone equates independence, right, with your, it's your DBA, your name, you know, you, you own the business and run it outright, you're the CEO. And ironically, some of the advisors I've spoken to who have that model are a slave to their business and recognize like, I actually, I might be independent, quote unquote, no, you know, no one owns my, my rep contract, but I have less time. I don't enjoy what I'm doing. And the valuation for my business is not maximized in this current structure. So it's just an, mm -hmm. it's, it's just an interesting thing that's happened now. And, and a lot of it has to do with consolidation. One of the other things that you mentioned on your, on your, on stage, was uh, 
One of our differentiators at Journey Strategic Wealth is that we think about client experience even before someone becomes a client. What did you mean by that? Why is that important? That was the second thing I said. Very good (laughs) note-taking from you, Craig. Um, Yeah, so, you know, the client experience is a spectrum. I said this on stage, and it begins from lead generation, right? The way in which you talk about what you do, the way in which you market your services like technically that that is the first time a prospect and hopefully that prospect becomes a client is really interacting and interfacing with you and so what was really important to us was to create this cohesive experience that begins before someone's onboarded when they're first interacting with journey when they're first hearing about journey when they're first reading our content or engaging with somebody on our team and so we break out the client experience we think of it as a spectrum and we we break it down into different phases from lead generation to prospect nurturing, client onboarding, client servicing, review meetings, and then ultimately multi-gen, uh, uh, gen, next generation wealth transfer rather. And so if you imagine that, right, we're taking the client through the full cycle of the full life cycle of, of engaging with us. And what was really critical was that at each of these stages, we gave not just a consistent experience, but but an exceptional experience that really was scalable, first of all, on the back end, but but also felt like it had been customized uniquely to the client. And so there's so much to talk to about this area, but that's what I meant by that. I meant the client experience starts from the second a consumer interacts with your brand. Something else that you said, you were talking about the uh, transfer of wealth as advisors age out of the industry, that they're going to need two kinds of advisors. You need the advisors who are producers, which is the typical thought of an advisor. You've got to go out there and make range. You've got to go out there and close deals. But with these books of business that are going to be left after advisors age out, someone's got to manage them. So it's a different type of advisor. Can you talk a little bit about those, those differences and how you hire those different types of advisors? Yeah, so this is another really big topic. I could talk about this for two hours, but you know, for a long time, we only have thirty our, minutes. Okay, I know it's not enough spend. time. You you know how much I talk. Come on, Craig. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, this is it's a big topic because for so long in our industry, we've been talking about the need for producers, and I, I always joke. I say we've done a great job as an industry of scaring the heck out of advisors for as long as they've been in business, right? We were telling them robos were gonna replace them. And then we were telling them, oh my gosh, you're gonna, there, there's nobody to replace you from a human advisor standpoint. And you've built these businesses and they're just gonna you know, disappear in, in, into the, it's in the universe somewhere. And the reality is, is because the industry's consolidating, and again, this may not be a popular comment, but we've, the industry has almost solved the succession issue for itself with, all of the M&A activity that's happening, meaning an advisor ages out of the business and they don't have a successor, guess what? There's a firm that's gonna buy them, there's a firm that's gonna step in and serve their clients and clients are gonna be fine. And so my message to advisors is that it's actually less important, slightly less important and much more difficult to nurture and develop Rainmaker advisors for, for multiple reasons, by the way, some of it's generational, than it is to hire, develop, and nurture 
what the industry needs more of, which is advisors who can service business and preserve and retain revenue. So I think about it as in-house advisors and rainmaker advisors. And I, I probably said this quote on stage, advisors that can hunt in the zoo and not in the wild. And so we need what the industry calls lead advisors, right? Advisors that are responsible for managing relationships and delivering advice. Because advisors are aging out, there aren't that many um, successor advisors that have been raised and groomed to take over the business. But there's this other piece that we're, they're just less producer rainmaker advisors being born and bred today than there were 30, 40 years ago. And, you know, that's the whole generational conversation. A millennial Gen Z advisor is very, very different and was raised very, very differently than the baby boomer you know, even young silent generation advisor that's that's retiring or has retired. And that's the next thing I was going to ask you about, because speaking of controversial things you've said, Penny Phillips, <laughs> <laughs> on stage, you also said that the difference between the next generation advisors who are coming into the business were grew up in an environment of participation trophies and constant positive reinforcement which is very different than the advisors they are replacing who grew up in a negative reinforcement culture where if you didn't hit your numbers, you were out. Yes. So how's that going to change the way the businesses are being run now that this new wave of next-gen advisors are taking over? Oh, oh my gosh. There's just, there's just less. And advisor, producer, this has always been a challenge in our industry, right? You look at any big firm and the retention numbers, like this has always been a challenge. It's only going to become more of a challenge because let's face it, the younger advisors coming into the business today, and I'm generalizing here for any of the younger, you know, talent listening that, that disagrees, but they don't want to be salespeople. They don't want to, you know, and I, you know, I grew up in the insurance broker dealer space as a consultant and you know, find me young advisors today that want to come in and just sell life insurance to as many people as humanly possible. It's just not going to happen. Or, or advisors who want to come in and, you know, be be the traditional sort of brokers just trying to raise as many assets as possible. Advisors don't want to do that as much anymore. They want to be advisors. They come out of CFP programs. They get their CFPs because they want to be advisors. They want to deliver advice. But the differences in generations have changed the entire dynamics of sales cultures. And I alluded to this, you know, what the characteristics that underpin the next generation, participation, trophy society, positive reinforcement culture, our confidence, our ability to succeed, our ability to feel good about the work we're doing is based on what? It's based on the number of likes we get, right? So as a younger generation, we respond to positive reinforcement, to, to constant feedback. Uh, we, we're we're more likely to be successful if we're on teams surrounding by people who are sort of helping us move forward. That is totally different from maybe the industry you started out in, Craig, where it was you had a you were an individual producer, you had to hit your numbers, you were out, and you responded to negative reinforcement. Someone telling you you're not going to make it. I'm generalizing. That made you want to succeed right? You're cold calling more people or whatever it is. And so it's just totally different now. I also think there's this nuance about rejection. Advisors who've made it in this business, who've been in the business for 30, 40 years are comfortable facing rejection. The younger generation is not. The younger generation has lived their whole lives via technology, right? We 
break up with people via social media apps. We make decisions and engage with service providers behind a technology wall. Our ability to really deal with conflict in a way that's conducive to, you know, ultimately selling and, and, and getting past rejection, it's just totally different now. And so that's what I was alluding to. Well, let's not get into my personal life with breaking up with people over apps, okay? It's, it's just, that's a low blow. Sorry to, if that was triggering to you. I'm sorry, yes, Greg. Yes, I'm, I, that's a trigger warning for anyone out there. Right? You should put that on the, on the front of the podcast. It's, so I, I have a degree in computer science. I actually started out on the technology side of the business. And um, I had to train myself how to be a salesperson because I, I'm the, the rainmaker at my company. Uh, Ezra Group Consulting. And one thing I learned, I, I, I took a lot of course, I, not look, I, I read a lot of sales books. And one of the things that stuck with me, I think was a Zig Ziglar, um, even an audio course. It was so long ago, I listened to it on cassette. That's how long, that's how old I am. And, the, and what he said was, if you're not hearing no 10 times a day, you're not doing a good job. Because as a salesperson, you have to be you know, knocking on doors. That's if right. Not knock, you, you know, if you close one deal out of 10, you have to knock on 10 doors. If you want 10 deals, you got to knock on 100 doors, just in very simplistic terms. So you're going to hear 90 no's. So if you're not hearing nine no's a day, you're not talking to enough people. But that's, that's just certainly not the way a lot of people, generic, you know, generalizing, using you know, a generalization, uh, are, are brought up today. That's right. And I, you know, there, but there is an exception to all of this. And it's a characteristic that I see in advisors, regardless of age, who are successful, right? The, when we talk about the best in the business, there's something that unites all of them. And I've seen it in people that are 22 years old and certainly people who are in their you know, 60s and 70s. And it's what I call the relentless prospector mindset. It's the advisors that have so much conviction in what they do. They believe so deeply in the profession itself and the value of what they provide that they feel obligated to talk about what they do right they don't they don't see it as gosh I'm, I'm making the ask or i'm trying to sell what i'm doing they think of it as it is my responsibility to talk about what we do to help more people the advisors that think like that that have that mindset do not even think about rejection they do not care about rejection all they care about is spreading the message of what they do because they have a bigger mission and so I really think it's important even for the younger generation to tap into that, align yourself with firms or build, build a firm culture that's really tied to the greater impact of the work that you do. That will help you ultimately feel confident telling the story over and over, even, even if people you know, don't want to sign on as a client. Relentless prospector mindset. I would abbreviate that as always be closing. ABC. That's right. right. That's exactly right. So that's what I hear. Yeah, but it is true that you, you if you're really passionate about your business, uh, you're not following your passion. You're passionate about your business, which is a difference. That's and right. If you're that passionate, you are, you are, you like talking about it. So, you're, so it's, doesn't, it's not something you have to be forced, forced into doing. That's right. Let me just take a quick break from this interview to talk about the Invest in Others Charitable Foundation. Uh, I'm fortunate enough to uh, be participating in this charitable organization, and they give me the honor of uh, every year helping to judge some of the charities that are going to be awarded uh, money. And uh, 
you can get uh, money for your charity if you are a financial advisor or an advisory firm. And you can also um, participate in a program that Invest in Others is running called the Charitable Champions. This recognizes financial advisory firms that give back to their communities. Let me just read a little bit. This is on their website, investinothers.org. Uh, the Charitable Champions recognizes financial advisory firms that give back to their communities by promoting a culture of philanthropy amongst their financial advisors and staff. You can submit your firm name uh, to the, the, uh, the organization. Uh, the application is already open. The deadline is July 7th, and the winners will be announced August 16th. Submissions will be evaluated blindly by a panel of advisors based on criteria including leadership and culture, events and activities, incentives, contributions, and impact. Now, I'm not a judge on this. I judge other, I judge usually advisor charities. And um, it's very difficult to do that kind of judging because they give us 10 charities with 10 advisors. And we have to decide which advisor gave the most back to their charity and helped them the most. It's really tough. Uh, but, you know, all the money is going to a great cause. So please go to investinothers.org. And if you are uh, uh, running a financial advisory firm, sign up for the charitable champions list. Let's shift gears into your favorite topic, which is technology. I know you, <laughs> you were just itching. You were just chomping at the bit to talk technology. So um, from your point of view, Penny, how uh, is your firm using technology uh, when it comes to helping advisors, when it comes to um, your tech stack? You just talk a little bit about it, not too deep. I know you're, you're, you're itching to really just go really super deep, uh, but just keep it high level for me. You know, well, the, the thing is, I just, and the reason sometimes I'm like, I don't want to have the tech conversation is because we've been saying the same things about technology for the last, you know, decade. And, you know, my, I say my, one of my alma maters is uh, InvestNet. I consulted at InvestNet in-house. And so just so many of the same conversations we were having then with advisors, we're still having now in the business. The one thing that was important to me when launching Journey so we're, we're an RIA structured like a roll-up for anybody who isn't familiar. So advisors join us. They outsource all of their operations to Journey, meaning we do everything for them. So we open accounts for them. We bill, we trade, we do reporting, we manage investment, everything. So it was really critical for me in thinking about how do we put a tech stack together for advisors was obviously we needed something that would help us scale the business. Scale is the most you know, it, it, one of the most important words for, for any RIA rollup. But the other thing that was really important was how can we use tech to drive advisor behavior? Our, our model is centered around this idea that if we give advisors 80% of their time a week to just business develop or work with clients, what will we do with that time? You know, ideally, and we're helping them do this, they're using that time efficiently. They're in front of people. They're talking about the business. They're helping more clients. They're working with higher, you know, higher tier households. And so they're growing at a faster rate. And so one of the things was we really needed to make sure that the technology we were choosing was advisor friendly so that advisors can use technology to get deeper with clients and, 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 you know, ultimately run their practices more efficiently. The other thing that was really important about what tech we chose was we needed tech that helped us institutionalize the client experience. I said this on stage, I'll say it again, the best firms in the business, so the firms that are growing, the firms that are going to be around for the next you know, couple of decades, are the firms that understand that everything that happens to the client, whether it's 
the letter, the welcome letter they get when they first onboard with a firm or the review meeting agenda they get seven days in advance of a meeting or the phone call they get from a service advisor, you know, letting them know their, you know, account is open and funded, whatever it is. Any of those things that happen to the client happen because technology has either been automated to have it happen at a certain point in time, or technology is alerting a person, an advisor to take action, right? Pick up the phone and call the client at an optimal time or let the client know something or whatever it is. And so we really needed tech that enabled us to, to, to do that. Our tech stack is, you know, it's the, the usual suspects. It's Wealthbox, Orion, eMoney. We have what I call our value add tools, Riskalyze, Asset Map, Holistaplan. From my perspective, Craig, um, there's the core tech, the tech that we need as an operations firm to scale advisors' businesses. That's our Orion and our, and our CRM. But the advisor should have choice around what they use to actually make their experience come to life. All of our advisors happen to use e-money, but if an advisor has a certain, you know, liking for a planning tool that they use, we will take a look at it and, and sort of add it to our, our stack. It's our responsibility, at least I see it as our responsibility as the quote unquote home office to make the tech work for advisors. It's not our job to limit the advisor's tools just because, you know, we want to use a certain, a certain tech piece. So let me just quickly review you, uh, your tech stack, uh, Wealthbox, CRM, Orion, Portfolio Management, eMoney, Financial Planning, Riskalyze, Risk uh, Tolerance and Risk Assessment, Holistic Plan Tax. Was there anything else that I missed? No, I think you got it. Okay. So, in picking those, how do you, how do you feel about those choices now? It's been it's been a little bit since you made those decisions. How are you feeling about your tech stack now? How am I feeling? Well, what do look, you like I'll, about it? What don't you like about it? <laughs> well, I'll don't say this. Back. I know. Well, look, I'll say this. We have a long way to go in our industry before we get to a place where we've really optimized tech for for the advisor and the client. And, and I, I mean that in a couple of different ways. I mean, anybody listening knows this. The tech is not as integrated as anybody will tell you it is. And one of, the, the, one of my biggest learnings, switching from consulting and coaching to actually running an RIA was, gosh, all the things my clients were telling me and complaining about as it relates to tech, is actually true. Uh, and so, you know, something I as simple- I didn't believe them. I didn't believe it. I was like, stop complaining. No, but you know, something as simple as, and I, I always use this example because it's such a perfect example of an issue that the industry doesn't solve for, but is a top issue for advisors. The, the, the naming conventions within different tech tools, getting data to flow from one tool, one platform to the next. If the naming conventions of the different systems are different, and also we're dealing with the custodians, right? And that's sometimes my biggest rub. The naming conventions don't match. You need to bring in some other solution, a back-end piece of technology, or you need to sort of build your own data warehouse in order to solve for that, in order to get data to flow effectively and efficiently from one system to the next. And so it's something so simple that we haven't yet solved for, and it doesn't seem like we are solving for, that really breaks down the efficiency of a tech stack. So that's something I don't like. Something else I don't like, I think we talk a lot about client experience in our industry, 
we do very little to actually build a client experience in any of our tools. I mean, you know, we talk about client portals. Having a client portal is not a differentiator. It's table stakes. I mean, go on Robinhood, go on any one of these self-directed apps and feel the experience. We are nowhere near what it feels like to be on any of these platforms. I mean, these platforms think about not just like ease of getting data and, and visualizing our finances, but these apps outside of our you know wealth management space are thinking about things like gamification, community, making you feel like you're part of something. We're nowhere near that. And so that's something else I don't like. The other thing I'll say that I don't like, and this is the age old issue, um, integrations. I mean, we will go to, you know, you go to any conference, you hear about how integrated all the tech is, it's not. And there are some tools that just don't play, you know, nice in the sandbox for their own reasons. And again, we're really doing a disservice to advisors, particularly to the advisors that want to stay as solopreneur advisors, right? Because the bigger institutions are going to solve for it because they have resources, they have money, they can build their own tech, they can build their own dashboards. The individual advisors are going to suffer. And the advisors at the broker dealers that are managing to the lowest common denominator. Those are the advisors that are going to struggle. Things I like. Um, that's a harder one to immediately have an answer to. I mean, look, we are Orion users. I think the depth and breadth of the Orion platform you know, whether you like it or not, it's impressive. I mean, there's so much that you could do, especially around portfolio management and trading. You could really scale a business. I mean, you could scale a big business with disparate firms that all do things slightly differently. You can really easily scale a business like that, which is pretty incredible. Um, I think I also like that Technology is helping advisors move down the wealth va management value chain, and that is something that we really have to focus on. As the as our business becomes more commoditized, the advisor that is going to not just survive but thrive is the advisor that can deliver on wealth management in a deeper way. Meaning, they're introducing tax planning into their practice, um, not necessarily doing people's taxes, right? But tax planning, they are serving clients in unique and different ways and you're they're using technology efficiently to do that i think holistic plan is such a and and tools like fp alpha i mean their use of artificial intelligence and um you know their use of ai to really easily help clients deliver insights to uh, help advisors rather deliver insights to clients i mean that's impressive stuff and so I like the value add tech that's out there. I think some of the core tech, we really need to focus on improving client experience and optimizing the way in which we work with other, other vendors in the space. You've hit on a number of areas that are also my hot button issues, especially on integrations at Ezra Group. If we're, this is our 18th year in the wealth and asset management business and integrations were the bane of our existence for many years. And last year we launched something we're calling the Wealth Tech Integration Score to help do some of the things you were mentioning. One is provide some transparency because it's very difficult to know who integrates with who. There's a lot of fluff, marketing fluff out there in vaporware. Yeah, sure, we integrate with XYZ and then you, you buy it. And then it turns out they don't really integrate with, that, with them at all. Or if they do, it's a very small section of what you really need. So our score is helping to do that. But the second part of the score is to help nudge vendors along to do more, 
to build out more robust APIs and more integrations that can do more and provide better advisor experience and client experience. So we're, we're behind you 100% there, Penny. And I, you know, I do have to give you kudos and you d- did not know I was going to say this, but we have gone out to firms and said, hey, here are the challenges we're facing. We don't want to reinvent the wheel. We want to make the tech work together. And we want to use the technology to derive critical insights about not just our advisors, but our clients. Like, how do we do that? Every firm out there, every consultant says they can help with that. And I would say, uh, you really understand the issues that firms like ours face. Um, And everything you reflected back to us was so spot on. And so kudos to you guys for for really leading in this area. It's, It's what you're doing is very much needed. Well, thank you, Penny. And yet this, this does nothing to do with the check I'm going to be sending you after this call. <laughs> I need the that. money. Send it. Yeah, <laughs> you're welcome. I, I will do that. I think we're, we're just about out of time here. Um, but let's just talk one more question. When you, you mentioned we're still having the same conversations as you had a long time ago. And then you talked to us, also mentioned to me that, uh, there, that a lot of tech firms are overlooking the simple stuff. Can you talk about those, those things related or are they, are they different? I definitely think they're related. I mean, they're separate and related at the same time. You know, I, I and it, and again, it's it's different with depending on which channel in the industry you're looking at. Um, but so many of these bigger firms, again, that have to manage thousands of advisors, businesses, and experiences, are still using really outdated tech. Um, you know, the technology has actually been updated at the firm level, but the broker dealer is still on an outdated older version of it. And so there's that, and we're still talking about that um, and, and still dealing with that in our industry. But I would say that the second part is, I think firms, and I've always believed this, really overcomplicate issues. And I think what we miss sometimes is, you know, what is the advisor challenged with on a day-to-day basis? And I'll just give you a simple example, like, you know, a firm, a a certain tech firm may be wanting to be really forward thinking and build an, you know, an AI chatbot in their tech tool, or they may be thinking about how do we use our tool to, to create community amongst advisors, right? Well, the individual advisor is faced with the challenge of like a DocuSign envelope at their custodian only allowing for five, you know, account paperwork documents. Like that's how simple firms need to think as it relates to how to really get more advisors using their tools and more advisors operating optimally. We haven't solved for the fundamentals. And my recommendation to every tech company out there is have an advisor take you through a day in their life and a day in the, the life of, of, of the new client, right? From the paperwork or the link that's getting sent to the client to how the new contact in the CRM flows to the portfolio management tool, flows to the planning tool. Everything you need to know about how to prioritize the initiatives at your firm will come from that. And so there's a major disconnect between what advisors want tech firms to work on and what they are working on. And that's always been the case. And we can just keep going on and on and on, but I'm gonna bring this one in uh, because we're we're out of time. Penny, uh, where can uh, anyone find out more information about your firm? Journey, S 
wadvisor.com, journeystrategicwealthadvisor.com. And you can Google me, Penny Phillips. I'm on Twitter. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on YouTube. Always talking to advisors, always trying to bring the advisor perspective. And I love your LinkedIn videos. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Thanks a lot, Frank. Appreciate you being here. Thanks, Craig. Hey, it's Craig again. Here are my top three takeaways from this episode. Number one, there are two general categories of advisors, uh, according to Penny, rainmakers and servicers. And they're, they're also described as those that are out hunting in the wild versus those hunting in the zoo, which I thought was an interesting way of looking at it. And she also mentioned that she feels that there are fewer rainmaker advisors being raised or brought into the industry and that she feels that Gen Z advisors may not be as prepared um, for the difficulties in being an advisor uh, as previous generations. Number two, uh, Penny is underwhelmed by a lot of the advisor tech on the market, mainly because it's not integrated. And we certainly understand that. She also mentioned that in client experience, client portals are no longer a differentiator since everyone has one. And that the client portals need to be improved. We're nowhere near retail financial apps like Robinhood. Number three, Journey Strategic Wealth. If you are an advisory firm, their sweet spot are teams with 1.5 to 4 million in revenue who have difficulties scaling. They, uh, their message resonates with wire teams who are unhappy with their compensation structure. Congratulations. You've made it to the end of another episode of the Wealth Tech Today podcast. And before we go, please head to our website, EzraGroupLLC.com, scroll to the bottom of the homepage, and subscribe to our newsletter. Every month, you will receive an email chock full of wealth management goodies, news, information updates, alerts. You will not be disappointed. Thanks again for listening and talk to you all again next time. Thank you.